Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, May 2nd. I'm Moshe Winunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news, and Jill, read between the lines so you don't have to. <laughs> We're keeping it. We're keeping it. For it's now. a cliche. It doesn't matter. We like it. For now. For now. By the way, some of you might be watching this on YouTube. We are now putting up our daily episodes on YouTube by popular requests. So uh, we're gradually, over time, centering our positions, as Jill just did, and uh, improving our lighting situation. I promise I will wear makeup one of these days. Today is not that day, as you can tell if you are watching this on YouTube. It has been a doozy. Speaking of makeup, uh, the Met Gala red carpet is taking place as we record this right now on Monday evening, Jill. And clearly... I'm not red carpet ready at all. Uh, We call this sweatpants chic, Mosh. But the theme this year of the Met Gala, uh, they're actually paying tribute to Karl Lagerfeld, who died uh, at the age of 85 back in 2019. Yeah, I saw that um, Jessica Chastain actually went with Karl Lagerfeld blonde for her hair, normally a, a redhead. So honoring him, at least with her hair color this year. Always cool to look at the fashion, see who was invited, who the A-listers are. Jill, we'll make it one, one of these years. We'll make it to the red carpet there. <laughs> but Mosh, time to get to the headlines here. The third bank fails in two months, but there is a buyer for the troubled First Republic Bank. Congress, you now officially have a due date to raise the debt ceiling. The government says it will default on its debt as soon as June 1st. An escalating fight between Chicago and Texas over migrants being bussed to the Windy City. Developments on the AI front about artificial intelligence being able to read our minds. Some are calling this exciting. We're not sure I about think that. Yeah. I am on the fence about this. The president's son, Hunter, is in court over child support payments. Lots of politics here. And Aerosmith announces that they're about to walk this way to retirement. Nicely done there, Mosh. Um, and Mosh has on the stay in history. Austin Powers, Jill. Austin Powers. Yeah, baby. Yeah, we have some fun facts for you. Some things that might surprise you about the making of the film. All right, let's start with our top story. Regulators seized troubled First Republic Bank yesterday, making it the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. They promptly sold all of its deposits and most of its assets to J.P. Morgan Chase, which is the biggest bank in America. It was already the biggest bank in America, so now it's just getting even bigger. The goal here is to end the turmoil that has raised questions about the health of the U.S. banking system. It is the third midsize bank to fail in less than two months. The only larger bank failure in U.S. history was Washington Mutual, which collapsed at the height of the 2008 financial crisis. It was also taken over by J.P. Morgan in a similar government-orchestrated deal. Now, this deal for First Republic comes less than two months after Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank failed as customers fled regional banks for larger ones, forcing the Federal Reserve to step in with emergency measures to stabilize markets. First Republic's 84 branches opened on Monday as branches of J.P. Morgan Chase, which acquired the bank's $92 billion in deposits and $203 billion in loans and other securities. The bank's shareholders are likely to be wiped out as part of the deal. Yeah, Jill, just a couple months ago, First Republic was a $150 stock. Uh, it was trading at just a couple dollars uh, at the end of last week as it became very clear that the bank was not going to survive. For years, First Republic, which, by the way, 
until late last year, was the 14th largest bank in America. The strategy at First Republic was to focus on high net worth customers with preferential rates for mortgages and loans. It was the envy of the banking industry because they were able to lure at First Republic very wealthy clients, low cost mortgages, attractive savings rates, and it got them in to sell them on higher profit businesses like wealth management, brokerage accounts, etc. In return, the wealthy there rarely defaulted on their loans, parked substantial sums of money in the bank that could be lent elsewhere. But that business model of catering to the rich became a liability, and that's become clear in recent months here with Silicon Valley Bank, especially, and now First Republic Bank. These banks had large amounts of uninsured assets because this type of clientele had a lot of money above 250k and as it became clear that there were questions about these banks those people with large accounts were very quick to pull out their money first republic alone saw 100 billion dollars in deposits a leave in the first three months of this year and so that left the bank then scrambling for money there was a lifeline actually interestingly coordinated by jp morgan of uh, 30 billion dollars to try to save it in march that did not work out. First Republic then asked for more. At the end of the day, the government uh, saw it fit to find a buyer here. They uh, had an auction over the weekend. They had to make an exception here for JP Morgan, given how large it already is. Uh, and so you have it here, the latest bank collapse. First Republic, by the way, now replaces Silicon Valley Bank as the second largest of all time, moving SVB down to third, Signature Bank fourth on the list. So literally the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in American history, all taking place in the last two months. That said, uh, analysts who are looking at this don't see a larger contagion here or are not immediately worried about any other banks. Uh, this was isolated to a couple of banks here, especially in light of where interest rates have uh, gone up in the last year. And so that has made it challenging for these banks to have immediate liquidity uh, and the fact that some of them are now taking a loss on some of their holdings. I was listening to an interview with a business owner who had a lot of money at First Republic. He was saying he has so many decisions that he has to make and so many stress factors in terms of just running his business that the last thing that he needed was to worry about whether or not his deposits at the bank were going to be safe and that it just made more sense for him to pull his money out millions of dollars and put it in a different bank because it just wasn't something that he needed to worry about. And that is the problem is that you have a lot of people who could so quickly in the digital age, just hit one button on a smartphone and transfer millions of dollars out, out of a bank. Um, and, and there you go. In in We've talked about this before. It is in some ways a self-fulfilling prophecy. Bank runs are easy in the digital age. You got people who have money at a mid-sized bank who are nervous that it's not safe. They pull their money out and then it isn't safe because then the bank does actually go under. We should mention here, uh, when I was first starting Mo News uh, a couple of years ago, First Republic uh, was mentioned to me as a good bank for a small business. So as a matter of disclosure here, we banked. Uh, Jill, I've paid you a couple of paychecks with <laughs> First Republic checks. So this was a matter of nervousness. Now, I fortunately or unfortunately never had the problem of having millions of dollars in the bank, Jill. Uh, <laughs> I, mine were always under the 250K FDIC insured. But that was certainly a very nervous thing, you know, watching this for the past six weeks. And, um, you know, it seems like it was relatively seamless. Though I will say it is unfortunate because uh, regional banks are important uh, for people out there to be able to get funding. Sometimes you can't get loans from the large banks. And in this case, the biggest bank in America just got larger. And so that's one of the downsides here of the situation we're facing. 
the same time, you know, economic headwinds change here and banks have to be prepared for that. And clearly, uh, Silicon Valley Bank was not. Uh, and in this case, it did not appear that First Republic was able to withstand the current situation. Moshe, I am far from an economist, but it seemed pretty obvious that the Fed was going to have to raise interest rates. <laughs> and many people said that they waited way too long to raise interest rates. So I think that there are real questions as to why these banks weren't prepared for that economic landscape to change. Right. I mean, we have a system here where you give a certain amount of onus, responsibility on part of the business, and then you have regulations. And the question here is, does the government need to step in with more regulations? Uh, or will this be a wake-up call to other bank CEOs without further regulations? And that certainly is being debated in Washington. You're hearing more from the FDIC, and we'll stay on top of this on this podcast. Okay, staying with financial news, it is now getting down to the wire. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen notified Congress on Monday that the U.S. could default on its debt as early as June 1st. That is less than a month from now. That is, if legislators do not raise or suspend the nation's statutory borrowing authority before then, a.k.a. the nation's debt ceiling, in a letter to House and Senate leaders, Yellen urged congressional leaders to protect the full faith and credit of the United States by acting as soon as possible and vote to raise that $31.4 trillion borrowing limit. She added that it is impossible to predict with certainty the exact date of when the U.S. will run out of cash. So don't wait until the last minute. I feel like this is like when teachers tell students, like, don't wait until the night before to do your paper. Uh, it came as the Congressional Budget Office also reported that it saw a greater risk of the U.S. running out of funds in early June. And that is due to less than expected tax receipts this filing season. Remember, the U.S. government is literally now scrounging around for money to pay our bills and that is why this debt limit matters so much. Yeah, they're going to start looking for pennies in the couch soon at the White House, Jill, until the debt limit goes up. <laughs> and we can then take out more money as a government to uh, pay back interest uh, payments, pay back our debtors. So we officially hit this $31.4 trillion limit in January. But that's when Yellen said the Treasury would be able to take extraordinary, what they call extraordinary measures to pay back debt federal benefits. I mean, there's a trillions of dollars that the government owes, right? Social Security benefits, veterans benefits. Uh, there's certain mandatory spending, and they only have a limited number of measures that they can take to kind of uh, pause certain funding in order to pay things that are due. In many cases, you're talking about U.S. debt here, right? You buy treasury bonds, you want to get paid out for them. The U.S. should be good on its debt. It has been for more than 200 years. And so that's the issue here. This is why the debt limit is such a big deal, because this is literally America's credit rating. And you want the world to know that they can trust America here. So President Biden, we learned late Monday, phoned all four congressional leaders, top Dems and the top Republicans, McConnell, Hakeem Jeffries, Kevin McCarthy, Chuck Schumer, invited them all over to the White House for a meeting next week. And it comes as the president and Kevin McCarthy have been at an impasse here. The president, as we told you on this podcast, wants a clean debt limit increase. He says, increase the debt limit so we can pay back the existing people that we've already taken money from. McCarthy and Republicans are saying, no, 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 not so quick. We want you to agree to some budget cuts and we need some fiscal discipline here before we agree to a debt limit increase. So Biden, for the most part, has said no negotiations here. Now you see him inviting everyone to the White House. It does come as Republicans last week said, we'll, we'll increase the debt limit, but we also want you to cut back on a whole bunch of things that you passed recently, and we want you to stop spending. 
keep in mind, this is not the first time this has happened. This sort of is starting to look more like 2011 right now. President Obama, Republicans leading the House at the time. It was a similar debt ceiling fight. It took the country to the brink of default. It actually prompted a downgrade of the country's credit rating at the time. We still haven't recovered that even 12 years later. I remember very well uh, when our credit was downgraded, actually. The question is, given that Congress is even more polarized than it's ever been, and you've got these hardliners like Marjorie Taylor Greene and others, how does this end? This is one of the reasons, Jill, why that whole speaker fight that it took Kevin McCarthy 15 votes to be elected speaker was so concerning to folks because that showed his lack of command over uh, his caucus, right? His group of Republicans. And the fact that even on something as simple as being elected speaker, he couldn't get them through, started to preview for people, ooh, when the debt ceiling comes up, how is he going to keep this group together given that he only has a several seat majority here? And so they're going to have to come up with something. And like most compromises, neither side is going to have to love it, right? In this case, Republicans are asking for a lot. They want President Biden to basically reverse everything he's done and everything he's passed for the past few years. <laughs> that is not going to happen. Biden says, I will give you nothing. I want a debt limit increase, and that is all. He will probably have to concede on something, right? Kevin McCarthy will have to go to his hardliners and say, we got something, folks. So at the same time, you have this game of chicken here. Uh, both sides will be like, well, I'm going to blame you. When, when everything collapses in the stock market, I will say this is because of Republicans. Uh, and Republicans would say, I will say it's because of Biden. And so this is the game of chicken that you're going to see unfold here. If you had uh, lovely plans for May, uh, <laughs> wait for that last week before Memorial Day. Uh, I imagine, given what we've seen in the past, uh, they're going to take it down to the edge here. Jill, it's something we discussed on the Mo News Premium uh, Instagram account over the weekend. I answered a number of people's questions. If you haven't joined yet, that's available over at mo.news slash premium. One of the questions we got into, by the way, was who owns America's debt? And there's a you know assumption and theory out there. Oh, China owns all of our debt. Well, 75% of our debt is actually owned domestically by various mutual funds, pension funds, treasuries. Uh, nearly 40% is owned by the Fed. You know, the Fed buys treasuries, right? When it comes to foreign debt holders, which is about a quarter of our debt. Japan is actually the largest foreign holder of our debt. That's followed by China, which has about $800 billion of our $31 trillion in debt. If anyone's more interested in that conversation, again, you can find that over at Mo News Premium, mo.news slash premium. Join over there. You'll have access to a special podcast and our members-only Instagram account. All right, Jill, we have a lot more to get to, including the speed read and a little bit of Austin Powers history on this day in history. But first, I want to thank our sponsor this week, Bull and Branch Sheets. That is Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch. We're so happy to be partnering with them again. It's a brand I have come to know and love and spend somewhere between five and eight hours uh, every night <laughs> hanging out with. <laughs> Bull and Branch Sheets are made with 100% traceable organic cotton. They get softer with every wash. And now that we've had them for a few months... I can say with certainty that that is the case there. They've been bought by millions, including another interesting fact I learned recently, four American presidents, so just under 10% of all American presidents have also used Bowling Branch Sheets. What's cool about Bowling Branch Sheets, and we talked a bit about this on the Instagram account recently, is they spend a lot of time focused on the supply chain. It turns out organic cotton is better for the environment there, especially where they grow it in India, including the health of the farmers in India. But let's get to the deal here right now for Mo News listeners. Starting now, you will get 15% off site-wide. Use our code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, 
to get 15% off today over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code MONEWS. Time now for the speed read from NBC News. The Biden administration will end COVID vaccination requirements for federal employees and international air travelers on May 11th, according to the White House. This announcement means the requirement will be dropped the same day the administration said that it would end the public health emergency tied to the pandemic. The administration also ending vaccination requirements that it had put in place for international air travelers. These new travel rules mean that international air travelers who are not U.S. citizens or lawful permanent residents will no longer need to be fully vaccinated before flying to the United States. A couple weeks too late for Novak Djokovic, Mosh. Was just going to say, Novak could have used that to compete in those couple couple of those tennis tournaments. Jill, I've been getting this question repeatedly, being like, it's 2023. When are they going to lift this requirement? Well, it appears next Thursday, along with pretty much everything else at this point. Uh, keep in mind, last month, the Biden administration signed into law that Republican-backed resolution terminating the national emergency that was first declared back in 2020. Uh, this now ends the final rules. And one thing we're still tracking is the immigration issue, because this will also lift the Title 42 we've been telling you about down at the border, which means we could be seeing a surge on the border very soon. Mosh, speaking of immigration, this story coming from CBS Chicago. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot sent a letter to Texas Governor Greg Abbott Monday urging him to do away with his policy of busing migrants north. Chicago and other major northern cities like New York and Washington, D.C. have previously been major destinations for those bus trips out of Texas. The trips made national headlines late last year when Texas experienced a major surge in migrants. Lightfoot accused Texas Governor Greg Abbott of engaging in inhumane and dangerous action by sending migrants to a number of sanctuary cities, Further, she alleged in a letter that women in active labor and people needing extensive medical care had been sent to the city. She claims to have, quote, shouldered the responsibility of caring for more than 8,000 men, women, and children with no resources of their own. Opponents of the busing policy argue that it is inhumane and dangerous. Proponents, though, say that the bus rides help migrants reach their final destinations faster and that cities where Democratic politicians say the country needs looser immigration standards should have to experience the crisis themselves. Yeah, Texas Governor Abbott is responding to Lightfoot's letter and is refusing to end his busing policy. He told the mayor, you must call on the Biden administration to do its job by securing our border, repelling the illegal immigrants flooding into our communities, classifying the Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. He made a whole bunch of demands there. The governor went on to claim that the influx of migrants is not a Texas problem, but an American problem, and that Texas began busing migrants to sanctuary cities like Chicago, uh, where they give more opportunities to migrants to provide much-needed relief for his border town. She was talking about having 8,000 migrants in Chicago. He's talking about cities like El Paso, which have seen tens of thousands across the border. According to the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, they estimate that the southwest border in just the month of March alone saw nearly 200,000 migrants. That now means the U.S. has seen about 1.2 million in just the past six months. The Wall Street Journal, Mosh, which is a conservative paper, they wrote uh, an opinion piece about this, and they said, posturing as a, quote, sanctuary city used to be fun when it meant resisting Donald Trump, but now the migrant crisis is everywhere. 
Yeah, you see here Republican governors uh, in the South trying to make uh, certain Democratic cities eat their words, so to speak. The problem is, Joe, that these migrants are effectively being used as pawns in the middle, you know, and you've seen images of these migrants, small children being bussed in the middle of the night uh, over the winter, uh, cold weather locations in the North, no blankets, etc. And unfortunately, uh, they're being tossed around as part of our kind of domestic political debate right now without a real solution to the migrant crisis. Okay, on to some tech news from the New York Times. Artificial intelligence is getting better at mind reading. On Monday, scientists from the University of Texas made another step in that direction to getting closer to mind reading. In a new study, researchers described an AI that could translate the private thoughts of human subjects by analyzing what's called fMRI scans, which measure the flow of blood to different regions in the brain. Already, researchers have developed language decoding methods to pick up the attempted speech of people who have lost the ability to speak and to allow paralyzed people to write while just thinking of writing. But the new language decoder is one of the first to not rely on implants. In the study, it was able to turn a person's imagined speech into actual speech. And when subjects were shown silent films, it could generate relatively accurate descriptions of what was happening on screen. Alexander Huth, who is a neuroscientist at the university, and he helped lead the research, said this isn't just a language stimulus, but that we are, quote, getting at meaning, something about the idea of what's happening. And the fact that that's possible is very exciting. For him, Jill. For him. him. I I was going to say, I I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, maybe this is exciting. It's still a little scary. (laughs) When I saw the headline, I was like, we got to do this in the podcast. You know, you're like, AI getting better at mind reading. What? Um, and it comes as, as uh, I'm about to tell you another development as far as the kind of godfather of AI. But as far as this study, Jill, you can read more about it in the journal Nature Neuroscience. This study of Dr. Huth centered on three participants. They came to his lab for 16 hours over several days to listen to The Moth and other narrative podcasts. As they listened, an fMRI scan, so this is a functional MRI scan, recorded the blood oxygenation levels in parts of the brains. The researchers then used a large language model to match patterns in brain activity to the words and phrases that the participants heard. So programs you've heard about, like ChatGPT and Google's BARD, are trained on vast amounts of writing to predict the next word or sentence or phrase. Those models then create maps indicating how words relate to one another. So the good doctor, Huth, uh, noticed that the particular pieces of those maps could be used to predict how the brain lights up in response to language. And so apparently here, they're able to connect parts of brain with words here, Jill. We're still very early on, but it did come, as I saw another headline of break on Monday. The New York Times has an interview with a man named Jeffrey Hinton. He is dubbed the godfather of AI. So this is a completely separate story, but comes out at the same time. He's responsible for many of the major advances in AI, and he has now quit his job so he can freely speak out about the risks of AI. He says to the New York Times, this is Hinton, the godfather of AI, that he now partly regrets his life's work. He joins a growing list of experts who are warning about the potential dangers here of AI, including disinformation and unexpected behaviors like we've told you about before, that AI can hallucinate. So he tells the Times here, and it's worth, uh, if you have a New York Times subscription, reading the full piece, that it's hard to see how you can prevent the bad actors from using this 
for bad things. It's like the person who developed the K-cup. Didn't they say they regret it because of all the pollution? Oh, I was going to say it feels like Robert Oppenheimer who developed the nuclear weapon. <laughs> he also regretted it. So did Einstein, by the way. Uh, partial, you know, the people who were involved in the Manhattan Project uh, and what that came to be and the fact that we now live for the rest of time, at least it looks like it, with nuclear weapons, you know, the threat of destroying ourselves. Look, my mother always jokes that I do not have a poker face, like I have no game face. I totally wear (laughs) my emotions on my sleeve. But in this case, the fact that something could potentially read your mind, um, I think that that's pretty scary, actually. Uh, Look, this is incredible technology, especially for people who have disabilities. And and it's so incredibly helpful. But in that case, you might have an implant and you might, you want it. It's voluntary. The fact that there's this technology that could potentially be reading people's minds who didn't sign up for it uh, is problematic. It's still very early on. We'll see how this goes. We'll see what rules and regulations they build around this. But we thought it was interesting development today. It's still very early on in the process. And uh, Jill, I'm an optimist. I think we'll figure it out. Whereas I'm like, it's the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why this podcast works. All right. From CNN, President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, was in court on Monday for a child support hearing. An Arkansas judge ruled that he will need to sit for a sworn deposition and answer additional written questions about his investments, art sales and other financial transactions as part of a paternity related case. The hearing was convened after Hunter Biden asked to reduce the monthly payments to London Roberts, the mother of their four-year-old daughter, Navy Joan Roberts. Hunter Biden had been paying $20,000 in monthly child support, but is looking to lower his total given a loss of income. The two sides are now locked in a legal tussle over which documents he needs to hand over to Roberts as part of the discovery process to prove finances. She and her outspoken Republican lawyers want many of these same financial records that House Republicans are trying to obtain for their own Hunter Biden probes. Funny how that works out. Yeah. (laughs) This case comes amid the Justice Department's long running criminal investigation into Hunter Biden's taxes and finances. Yeah. Suddenly you had uh, some top Republican attorneys take a real genuine interest in this paternity case in Arkansas related to Hunter Biden, uh, especially as we enter an election here. And that's something, by the way, that the uh, Biden team notes here is they're like, look at who's on the other side. We definitely saw this, by the way. It sort of reminds uh, me of the Paula Jones. I mean, same state, actually, Arkansas, but how uh, certain political attorneys in Washington took an interest in, uh, you know, all the matters related to Bill Clinton back in the 90s. Uh, and started to kind of raise up these issues. And I feel like you've got Democrats who are like, we will pay you the difference. Just <laughs> why <laughs> did you bring this up in court? <laughs> well, I, right, right. Your dad your dad needs to win re-election, Hunter. Can you please just take care of this? We'll give you the $5,000 a month, whatever, whatever it is that you need. So there's a lot of politics here uh, related to this. Hunter Biden, by the way, has, this is one of five children that he has. He's been married twice And then he had this relationship, it appears, in between those two marriages. London Roberts and Hunter Biden reportedly first met at a strip club where she was performing in D.C. a few years ago. She then gave birth to a baby girl in 2018. He initially denied fathering the child, so she filed a paternity suit. There was a DNA test. Uh, It came back positive. That case was closed. He agreed to begin paying child support. Now he wants to lower the child support. 
Hunter here has been accused of violating numerous court orders, intentionally withholding key evidence here, because again, he fears that providing this evidence in this case will then create trouble for him in the other investigations you mentioned. Uh, he has been called a, quote, deadbeat dad in some tabloid media. His attorneys made a point of uh, trying to refute that in court this week, saying that Hunter has given her a total of $750,000 over the course of the payments, but is looking to lower that sum right now. And it does come, Jill, as uh, in December, her attorneys filed a motion to have the four-year-old daughter's last name changed from Roberts to Biden. Uh, the mother there claiming that the Biden last name will benefit uh, her daughter, despite the fact that she and Hunter never really had a formal relationship. It's not a horrible point. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> From Rolling Stone, Aerosmith heading into retirement with a farewell tour. The group announced Monday that they'll have a 40-date North American tour featuring special guests, the Black Crows. Aerosmith said in a joint statement, it is not goodbye. It's peace out. Get ready and walk this way. You're going to get the best show of our lives. Guitarist Joe Perry believes the time to say goodbye is now, especially with every founding band member over the age of 70. Steven Tyler is 75 years old, and he is the oldest in the group. Yeah, Jill, the band formed 53 years ago, back in 1970. It's collected four Grammys over that time, but you know has had an indelible uh, impact on American culture. They broke boundaries with uh, their collaborations between rock and hip hop. They had that epic collaboration with Run DMC for Walk This Way. I remember their incredible Super Bowl halftime performance years ago with a very young Justin Timberlake, young uh, Britney Spears. So as far as seeing their last tour here, it'll kick off in Philadelphia September 2nd, 40 stops across the US and Canada ending in Montreal next January. There will also be a special stop in Boston for a special hometown show on New Year's Eve, uh, December 31st. Oh, that's awesome. Tickets go on sale this Friday. You can check them out over at Ticketmaster.com, Jill. Concerts are just so expensive now. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how people afford it, to be totally honest. It's like an experience. It's like a travel. I mean, it's like going on a trip now, right? Like it's an experience. And this is the last time you'll see Aerosmith, we think, uh, because I think it's uh, Elton John who's had the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road tour like several <laughs> times now. I was like, wait, didn't he already say Goodbye Yellow Brick Road? And he's like, no, I'm back to keep going on the Yellow Brick Road. But it sounds based on the way Aerosmith is talking here that this will actually be their last big live tour. Billy Joel is doing it right. He's got a residency. It's a quick ride from his home. It's once just, a month. Right. If, if you're not familiar, he he choppers in from Long Island to New York City, performs at Madison Square Garden, and then choppers back home. Does all of his greatest hits. Everyone loves it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really brilliant. That is the move. Yeah, I mean, they could conceivably do that uh, in Vegas or some other place. I mean, residency is a big thing now. You know, Celine was doing that for a while. Adele has a residency. Mariah Carey had a residency there. So we'll see. All right, now time to end, as always, with On This Day in History, on this May 2nd. I'm going to start in 1803, Jill. 220 years ago today, the U.S. got a pretty great deal from the French for the Louisiana Territory. They bought it for less than three cents an acre, about $10 million at the time. It actually encompasses, I think, about 20 states from Louisiana up to Montana, uh, and some of the heartland, some of the best farmland in the world. Uh, the French were looking to get some quick cash there. 
when they sold it to Thomas Jefferson. Short-sighted, France. <laughs> Quite short-sighted. <laughs> oh, Napoleon and your wars. You had to fund them somehow. All right, fast forward to 1930. It was five months after the stock crash. On this day in history, President Hoover says, it's just a temporary setback. Everything will soon pass and the economy will bounce back. It turns out we had the Great Depression ahead. It would worsen over the next five years. President Hoover would lose his election to FDR just two years later. All right, Jill, one more piece of presidential history here. The year 2000, 23 years ago today, President Clinton announces that GPS will officially be made available to the public. The satellite signals were originally just there for the government, for the military. They were eventually degraded for non-military use. And then Clinton announces that we all get to have GPS. Uh, and it's funny because today you feel like, what? where was the world before this? It feels like it's always been here. I saw a piece, I think it was on CBS Sunday morning, about how because of GPS, we're not using a certain part of our brain that mm. analyzes geography and, and things like that. I have actually, because of that story, decided to not use GPS unless I really need it. Because I was getting to the point, and I think a lot of people are like this, where you just put GPS on, even if it's somewhere you probably know how to go. Right, going to your parents' house. Yeah. <laughs> My car could drive there itself at this point. But yeah. no, it's just one of those things. It's it's just sort of a safety net that a lot of us like. And I had become so incredibly reliant on it. And I just decided, again, that unless it's someplace that I'm, I'm really going to get lost if I don't use GPS, that I'm not going to use it. And look at me, smarter already, Mosh. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that, Jill, because, I mean, when I learned to drive, I mean, I didn't have GPS. You know, there was not even MapQuest at that point. MapQuest, uh, aging myself there, too. That would come in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s. So when I go home to Chicago to visit my family, I'm able to drive on the roads and the expressways there uh, without looking at the map. I might look at it for traffic purposes, but I don't need to have it up. And almost as a matter of pride, I'm like, I'm not putting this up. Like, I know these roads. I've memorized these roads. But it totally makes sense. And you can see why we're also, you know, seeing more traffic accidents, etc. Because nobody's bothering to learn the roads anymore. They're just depending on maps. Uh, and, you know, Google, uh, which, by the way, owns Waze and Google Maps to tell you where to go. And, you know, that comes with its own peril. It's true, because people are just looking at their Waze or their GPS or whatever they're using. All right, a bit of TV history here. Uh, 41 years ago today, the Weather Channel launches for the first time. And Jill, we'll end here with a bit of movie history. If you remember this theme song. Austin Powers. Love it. Yes, 26 years ago today, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery premiered in theaters starring Mike Myers. Are you ready for this fun fact? Mike Myers did not originally intend to play both Austin Powers and Dr. Evil. In fact they were talking to Jim Carrey for the role of Dr. Evil. Apparently, Jim Carrey was interested, but it was interfering with the shooting of another film, Liar, Liar. Remember that movie from the 90s? And so Myers ended up uh, playing both roles, Dr. Evil and Austin Powers. I find it hard to imagine, Jill, Dr. Evil not being Mike Myers. If it wasn't going to be Mike Myers, I feel like Jim Carrey is a good person to play that part. And Jill, one other fun fact, Myers says that the original movie was 30 to 40% improvised on set. So, wow. so much of what we saw was just them kind of rolling with it. Which reinforces how talented some of these comedians are. A skill I don't have, Mosh. Um, 
<laughs> speaking of improvise, take us out. Speaking, <laughs> speaking us out. of improvise, uh, where's my script? All right, we want to thank everybody for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And check out Mo News Premium, mo.news slash premium to be a member of the Mo News team. Uh, you're supporting independent journalism. You're supporting our growth. You're supporting sustaining what we're doing here. You're getting access to a premium podcast feed. You're getting access to a premium Instagram feed. You're getting behind the scenes. We're still waiting on Jill's behind the scenes. Jill, it's been a week. Come on. <laughs> the people are asking for it. All right. Uh, tomorrow, I promise. Right now, Mo News Premium, you can get it for $7 a month or $70 <laughs> a year. That is two free months. And if you use the code Mo News Pod, Mo News P-O-D, you get an extra month free. That's for a limited time. So use it while you still can. We did get a call from Sarah from Florida, and she was very psyched that Mondays with Mosh and Alex is now available on Mo News Premium as a podcast. Yes, I'm about to go live right now. Uh, Jill, we go live on YouTube and Instagram. But if you want to listen to it after the fact, you can now do that uh, via the Mo News members uh, podcast. Uh, so you can catch us live every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time or listen to us after the fact on the podcast. All right, bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.